0: Well, let's continue our study in First Timothy. As you see, uh, we are going to be um, observing the Lord's table today in the service. And we will be doing that here in just a little bit. But before we do, let us look in the Word of God. And we're going to continue our study here in First Timothy chapter 1. As Paul continues to instruct young Timothy on sharing sound doctrine in the church, he talks about love. Love is a misunderstood word, a misunderstood concept in today's society love today is expressed by hollywood by the world as a whole as feelings true love has nothing to do with feelings but has everything to do with choices people when they get married well we hope we can stay together we hope we stay in love well that's choice you're going to make you're going to have to choose to love hence the reason why the vows say in sickness and in health Basically, richer or poorer, right? Basically, the idea of whether it be good times or bad times, we are going to make a commitment. A commitment. Because understand, marriage vows are a covenant before a holy God. It's not a, we feel good about this, and we just love each other, and then if we stop loving each other, well, that's what we had a prenuptial agreement for. No. Love is a choice, not a feeling. Okay, so as Paul is talking to Timothy saying, ensure the sound doctrine is taught in the church. Charge some that they teach no other doctrine, he says, but make sure you do it in love. You see, I've heard it said, and I've said it many times, it not only matters about having the right position, but also having the right disposition. Too often, people will have a proper position, but they're mean about it. They're angry about it. We don't have to be mean and angry about having the right position. We can take a stand in love. Now, love doesn't mean we're all compromising and all holding hands and singing kumbaya, but it means that I don't have to make it a personal attack against you, okay? I don't have to be angry and mean in the way I speak, but I can speak lovingly but still truthfully, right? We have lost that in our society today. We don't know how to have proper discourse among ourselves. We don't know how to take a proper position, but have the right disposition in doing so. Now, there are times when we're too commanded be angry and sin not, right? As Jesus was going through, flipping the tables in the temple, I believe he was expressing a righteous anger, but yet I believe it is also with a broken heart, he says... My father's house would be called a house of prayer. You have made it a den of thieves. You see, he was taken to proper position, but he never lost the disposition of love in doing so. Do you follow what I'm saying? Christian, it's amazing to me, as we said many times, God covers every area of life in his word. And as Paul is writing to young Timothy, he covers about having the right position and disposition In taking the stand in the church. But if you have the right position on issues but you don't demonstrate love, many times you come across very abrasive. This morning we're going to look at one verse, verse 5, which is just a clause, it's not a complete sentence. The sentence goes from verse 5 all the way to verse 7. So for context, I'm going to read all three verses, but we're going to focus on just verse 5 today. So if you're physically able, if you please stand with me and honor the reading of God's word. We're going to read 1 Timothy chapter 1, starting at verse 5. Now, to the end of the, now, the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned, from which some, having swerved, have turned aside into vain jangling, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. So this morning I want to answer the question, do you have the disposition of love? Do you have the disposition of love? Looking at three points from verse 5, first we're going to see, uh, the first point will be decreeing love, decreeing love in the phrase, now the end of the commandment. Secondly, we're going to define the word love or charity as it's used, uh, translated here in the text. Our last point will be displaying love as seen in the rest of the verse. Because, Chris, it's important you and I have both the right position and disposition in life. Father, I pray you guide us now as we study your word. Help us, Lord, to have the true, proper disposition of love and how we stand for truth, that we will not compromise, that we would contend for the faith, as Jude tells us. The Lord, help us to learn to do it in love. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Decreeing love. Paul says, now the end of the commandment is charity. The end of the commandment. So... The end has the idea of the conclusion or determination, right? The end of the commandment it, and the commandment has the idea of a charge or a proclamation. So, what is this charge or proclamation? Well, if you go back to verse three, as I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus while I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge, the word translated charge there is a. Um, a verb form of the noun used in verse 5, but at the same root translated commandment in verse 5, that thou mayest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. So what he's saying is, Timothy, while you're going to sh- charge some, command some that they teach no other doctrine, ensure that you're doing it in a loving manner. We need to guard against our attitudes and guard against our motives. But, Also, I believe the application goes to those that want to be the teachers, those that are going to teach the doctrine, need to also be reminded that you are to teach with a pure heart, a good conscience, and unfeigned faith. You see, when we preach and teach the Word, it is to be done with a heart of love, right? And It is to be done with a pure heart, a good conscience, and an unfeigned faith. If somebody's wavering in their own faith, how can they teach somebody else? If somebody doesn't have a good conscience, how are they going to teach you about a good conscience? If somebody doesn't have a pure heart, how are they going to teach the principles of God's word? And so it applies both to Timothy as he is enforcing sound doctrine being taught in the church, but it also applies to the teachers themselves. You see, there are those who teach because they want to look... Intelligent. I've said before many times, you talk to a Calvinist, they're going to try to belittle you with their intelligence. But they're teaching a false doctrine. Teach sound doctrine. And you don't have to pretend to be intelligent to teach sound doctrine. You just preach what the Word says. Some like the limelight. But again, it's not about the man, it's about the message. So we need their love as Christ loved. You do understand Love can attract others to Christ. Love can attract others to Christ. You say, what are you talking about, preachers? I want you to listen to this. 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2 says, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. I believe we have an example of this among us. Many of you know the testimony of our sister Stephanie, how that after she was saved, she was praying for her husband for years. And we as a church were praying for her husband for years. And she continued to live a godly example before him to the best of her ability. Now, yes, God did use when he had his stroke in the hospital to finally get him to a point where he realized his need for Christ. But let me tell you something. I don't believe... That he would have still been ready to make a decision if it wasn't for the chase conversation of his wife living that example before him all those years you understand David is now a child of god Because she chose to show true love So let me ask a question and i've been guilty of the same thing. Well, I don't care what they think I don't care what they blah blah blah, but well, i'm just going to spout off the truth Okay, we do need to present the truth But if we forget that this is an eternal soul that's going to spend eternity somewhere, when we spout off the truth in such a hateful, mean, vitriol manner, have we lost opportunity to show them the love of Christ that could bring them to Christ? Do you follow what I'm saying? You understand now why the balance of having, yes, the right position, but the right disposition to go with it. Because what is more important, the temporary or the eternal? But if I'm so focused on the temporary that I lose opportunity to present to them the eternal, what good have I really done? You follow what I'm saying? Got quiet in here. But another way that it can attract others to Christ, Jesus said in John 13, 35, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. When Christians are fighting among themselves all the time, the world looks at us and laughs and says, and you call yourselves followers of Christ. Sometimes churches divide over the silliest little things. I am thankful for the unity God has given us here at Freedom Baptist Church, and never to be taken for granted that the fact that we, I believe, to the best of my knowledge, now we've had little spats here and there, but I believe have been taken care of biblically, that the fact that when the world looks at this church, they should see a church that has a love one for another. And that alone, because the world doesn't understand, well, their personality is different than yours. Their background's different than yours. How can you have such a love for them? How can you get along with them? Because we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And that should speak volumes to the world that can't get along with anybody, that there's something different, and I want what they have. But if we're not showing love, how are we demonstrating to the world that we are his disciples? If we're not showing love one to another, how are we demonstrating to this world that I am a true follower of Jesus Christ? You know, you look at the example of the disciples. How many times were the disciples sitting there, they didn't understand what Jesus was teaching them, and they're too busy over here arguing who's going to be first in the kingdom, and they're too busy doing whatever the case may be. You know, I'll be honest with you, sometimes when I read through the Gospels, I'd be like, you know what? I would get rid of them all and start over again. But Jesus loved them. And he taught them. And he was patient with them. Aren't you glad that he does that for us? I'm glad he's patient with me. Because I'll tell you what. I know how often I fail him. But he's still patient with me. He still loves me. Why aren't we doing that for one another? As we do, we are showing the world and setting an example. I am a disciple of Christ. Now... There are some who interpret this and say, no, no, that's not actually referring back to verse 3, which I believe it is. They say rather that it's referring to the entire law of God for the greatest commandment is love. Well, that is true. In Matthew 22, verses 33 through 40, one of them said, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him, saying, Master, what is the great commandment of the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So, let's apply it this way then. The end of the commandment is love, If you take this interpretation, or if you look at it this way, looking at the entire law, then we are to love God with all our heart, soul, mind. Do we love God with all our being? Because if we're going to show love to others, we need to have that love of God in us. The love that as they are putting nails in the hands of Jesus Christ, he looks up and says, Father, forgive them. As the Jews are taking up stones to throw at Stephen, he again says, Father, forgive them. I feel too often we would rather say God cursed them for what they're doing. Is that truly demonstrating that I love God with all my heart, soul, and mind and love my neighbor as myself? Now, I love in another passage when trying to, again, justify himself. One asks Christ, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus then gives the parable that we're very familiar with of the good Samaritan. How he says that this man was beaten and a priest comes by and the priest looks and says, I think I'll go around. I'm not going to ignore that. I'm just going to ignore that today. A Levite comes by, does the same thing. But a Samaritan, those half-breeds, those people that the Jews hate, he came by and he takes care of the man, and he dresses his wounds, puts him on his own beast, takes him to the inn, pays the innkeeper, and says, anything else that comes on, uh, on this man's account, put it on my account. I'll pay you when I come back. I'm going to take care of this guy, who, by the way, we assume was a Jew. Then Jesus turns back to the guy and says, which of these was his neighbor? And he says, I suppose the one that had mercy on him. Go and do that likewise. Christian, this is where the rubber meets the road. Do we show that kind of love? Do we demonstrate that kind of love to the unlovely, the unlovable, the ones that aren't like us, you know, in the... Sunday school, we've been talking about looking at life through a biblical perspective. We talked about racism, discrimination. We're talking about justice now. But part of that, tr- Christian, has the same idea of if we are going to show love to others, then we cannot be a respecter of persons. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. All deserve to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. All deserve our love. All deserve our mercy. It doesn't matter what sin they're involved in. We still should love them enough to tell them the gospel of jesus christ period by the way this is not a suggestion from god but rather a command so let's go on then okay that's decreeing love it's decreed that we ought to love okay i got that so now let's define love so you look again in the verse and it says the commandment is charity now the end of the commandment is charity the word charity here is the same word that is used and defined for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now, I know many of you know this passage, but hold your place here in 1 Timothy and come back with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Because I said earlier, love is not a feeling, love is an action, love is a choice. I'm now going to prove that to you from Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity... I am become as a sounding brass or a tingling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and all understanding and mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains and have not charity, I am what? And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things, charity never faileth. There, folks, is your definition of love according to God. Now, I want you to notice these verbs and these words here. These are action words. They're not feeling words. Do you see feelings in here? Charity feels good. Charity likes things. Charity whatever. Feelings. No. It's action. It is or is not. It does or does not certain things. Now... As I counsel people like in pre-marriage counseling or marriage counseling or any time when I need to show people what true love is, and I've done this here before, is I challenge you to take a piece of paper and to write out what love is or does in one list or what love is not or does not on another list. But when you write this out, you're going to come up with words like vaunteth not itself is not puffed up and you're going to look at those words and you're probably going to say, I really don't understand what that word means. So now I'm going to challenge you after you have your list of what love is, or it uh, does or what it is not or does not now define every one of those terms get yourself a good 1828 webster's dictionary look up every single one of those words and write down the definition and now look at that list you have a list in front of you of the actions love is to take and love is not to take and then evaluate your heart and say do i love according to first corinthians 13 Because again, it is not a feeling, it is not emotions. True love will bring good feelings, true love will bring good emotions, but it is not the cause, it is an effect. Love is a choice of my will. Now, we've looked at charity in 1 Timothy chapter 1, we've looked at charity in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it's not this, I fall in love and fall out of love and fall back in love. How many times are you going to fall? This word translated charity in both 1 Corinthians 13 and in 1 Timothy chapter 1 is the Greek word agape. The Greek word agape. You see, we have in our English language one word for love. It's love. The Greeks had several words for love anything from the word eros, which is the erotic love, which actually simulates what Hollywood teaches is love. Eros is erotic love of what can I get out of you? What is the benefit for me? Okay. It has also a, I'm going to just give you three of them. The phileo love, that is what's benefit for us. is the brotherly love. And then the agape love, the highest form of love, the love that Christ had for us when Christ died for us, why we're we yet sinners, the love that we're commanded to have one for another, the love that is commanded in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5, the love that is defined for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is a selfless, sacrificial love that loves for the benefit of the object being loved, does not expect anything in reciprocation, but loves you by choice, of the will. Why were we yet sinners? Christ died for us. He God loved us while we we're still the enemies of God. That is a choice, not a feeling. That is agape love. Now I hear people say, Well, I can't love them. Okay? Here's what you're saying. I refuse to make the choice to love them. Because it's not that I can't love them. Because love again is not a feeling, it's a choice. So, when you say, I can't love them, what you're saying is, I make the choice not to love them. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, this is important. What you're saying is, you deserve better and you know better than God Himself because God made a choice to love you while you were still a sinner. And yet you say, But I can't. May I say, I find that very hypocritical coming from the lips of a Christian who will accept the love of God who loved me enough to die for me while I was still a sinner. He sent his beloved son, who the perfect lamb of God, to die and shed his blood on the cross of Calvary for me. But yet then I turn around to my brother who's made in the image of God like I am and I say, I refuse to love you the same way that he loved me. That's pretty hypocritical, isn't it? So the love that we're to have one toward another in John 13:35 is the agape love. The love that we are to have for God and for our neighbor, Matthew 22:35 through 40, is also the agape love. Now, with that decree and that definition, let's go back to First Timothy chapter one and verse five, and see then how this love is to be displayed. Now, the end of the commandment is charity, love, out of a pure heart. The word pure has the idea of clean or innocent. The heart has the idea of desire or will or intention. Your true motives are hidden to all except to God and yourself. How many times have you heard somebody say, Oh, I knew what they were thinking. That's why I did it the way I did. Did you really know what's in their thinking? Because last time I checked, we human beings are not given the insight of what's truly in another man's heart. I really don't know your motives. I can assume your motives, but I don't want to make assumptions. You know your motives. Are your motives pure? Are they clean? Now, this is not the Hollywood, follow your heart because everybody has a pure heart. No, our heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. The only way we can have a pure heart is because God has given us a clean heart. He's changed us. And so this only would apply then to Christians because a lost person does not have a clean heart, a pure heart, cannot have a pure heart. It only applies to Christians, does it not? But the only way, Christian, you and I can have that pure heart is in Christ and allowing the Holy Spirit to have control of us because I can't do it in the flesh. So yes, it deals with my motives. Why am I doing what I'm doing? The clean heart is created in us by God. Psalm 51.10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. So, love comes out of a pure heart. Okay, again, look at verse 5. Now, the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart. The preposition ek, out of. A pure heart and of, out of, a good conscience. So good means just, clear, or kind. The conscience distinguishing what is morally good and morally bad. Okay, how can I then have a clear conscience? How can I truthfully understand what is morally good and morally bad? Again, only by the Holy Spirit enlightenment. I cannot do that on my own. Now... The scripture speaks of conscience in several different ways. It talks about a pure conscience, a good conscience, a defiled conscience, seared, evil, and a purged. All different ways in which describe different types of consciences. Christian, you and I are commanded to have a good conscience, a clear conscience, not one that's muddied by decisions I make. You know, When somebody tells a lie, then they got to remember the lie, to repeat the lie, and add to the lie, to cover up whatever. A clear conscience doesn't lie, just tells the truth. A clear conscience before God. Now, I have a past. Before I was saved, there's things I did that I'm not proud of. There's things I did after I'm saved I'm not proud of. But I'm glad they're washed or under the blood. I don't have to carry those on my conscience. I don't have to carry around a guilty conscience because they are forgiven. And Christian, if you're walking around with a guilty conscience, you need to understand Jesus Christ is already forgiven, it's washed, it's under the blood. God chooses not to remember that sin anymore. And if he chooses, then you need to do your best to put that behind you where it belongs and live with a clear conscience. But a clear conscience is going to be truthful in all things, all the time, because let me tell you, you know, instead of a testimony that it takes a lifetime to build a good testimony, but only one moment of foolishness to ruin it, does it not? Well, I need to be careful the same way with my conscience, that I I keep a clear conscience at all times. And by keeping that clear conscience, I can keep a good testimony. But you and I can enjoy a clear, good conscience from God. So love comes out of a pure heart. Love comes out of a good conscience. And then lastly and of faith, unfeigned. Faith, conviction of the truth, unfeigned without hypocrisy, one that is sincere, genuine, or undisguised. Folks, may I say, be careful where you get your theology. Be careful where you learn about the Word of God. There's a lot of so-called teachers out there, but there's a lot of false teachers out there. Be careful where you learn the truth. Turn back to the word of God and be convinced, be convicted of the principles, of the faith, of the, of the truths of God's word. Don't waver, don't compromise, but be convicted. Don't be um, one that is tossed with every wind of doctrine that comes along. Ooh, that sounds good. Ooh, that sounds good. Look, stick to the truth. We talked about this last week, did we not? The sound doctrine. But your faith has to be grounded on the Word of God, and it has to be without hypocrisy. It has to be in sincerity. Because let me tell you, if you want to know what you truly believe, what are your actions? Because it will come out in action. What you truly believe is what you will act upon. If you're something different at home than what you are here, then you need to learn to be genuine. Because what you truly believe is going to result in action. I hate the saying, fake it till you make it. That is the most hypocritical saying I ever heard. And I've heard Christians use it. And I've corrected them on it and say, I don't believe that's a biblical statement. What do you mean? I said, show me in Scripture where Jesus ever said to be a phony. Well, that's not what I really mean. What I mean is just pretend like you're really doing okay, even when you're not. Show me in Scripture where that's how we should act. Folks, just because it's a fancy saying that everybody else says doesn't make it right. Fake it till you make it is not how the Christian ought to live. Be real, be genuine, without hypocrisy, sincere. I learned years ago the word sincere comes from the idea of without wax. The idea was, as you were making pottery, sometimes there'd be a slight crack in it. So what they would do to make this piece sellable and you wouldn't know it till you got home is they would put some wax in that crack and then it'd be sealed off and you wouldn't notice it until you heat it up and all of a sudden the crack shows. It wasn't sincere. It wasn't genuine. You know what I feel too often we live with too much wax. Let's be real. Let's be genuine. Everybody in this room has... Areas in which we are growing. Let's not put on an air of superiority. We talked about that in Sunday school. The ones that put on this, you know, treat some better than others. Well, sometimes people treat themselves like they're better than others. Listen, somebody who's truly growing closer to Christ is not going to be walking around all proud, doting themselves of how wonderful a person they are, because the closer you are to Christ, the more of a sinner you realize you are, and the more humble you should be becoming. So I truthfully see a Christian that walks around talking about how good they are as a red flag. Do you understand why? Be convinced of the truth and stand with conviction. Learn the truth of the word of God. Do not be one who's ever learning and never coming to the truth. 2 Timothy 3, 7 says they're ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. A faith unfeigned. A true, genuine faith a good, clear conscience, a pure motive, a pure heart, a clean, innocent intention or desire. These are how we demonstrate the charity or the true love, the agape love, in both our disposition, how we handle situations, how we handle, like Timothy, dealing with, Going to these teachers, ensuring that sound doctrine is going to be taught in the church, but dealing with them in love. But it's also how we present the truth. Okay? If I were to talk to a lost person, I would say, if you don't get saved, you're going to split hell wide open. Is that truth? Yeah. Is that going to be well received? Why not? It wasn't said with love. But if I show somebody that we're all sinners including myself, that I've broken God's law. Sin is breaking God's law. And maybe even walk them through some of God's law. You know, have you ever taken anything that's not yours? Yes. Well, what does that make you? A thief. And by their own admission, then they even show you that they're a sinner. Then you show them, and so am I. And here's the problem. Our sin has separated from uh, for us from God. And the wages of sin is death, and explain to them that that death is eternal separation from God in a place called hell. Now you've said the exact same thing. And then you share with them that Jesus Christ died for them. The only way that they can have eternal life is through Jesus Christ because of his great love for us. You said the same thing in a total different way and probably will be much better received. Sometimes we're so busy getting our point across that we don't get our point across because of the way in which we present it. Let's speak the truth in love. The love that loves for the benefit of the object be in love, not for my own benefit, the love that is willing to sacrifice, the love that is willing to give, the love that doesn't look for anything reciprocated in return because of the love I displayed. That is a tall order. But that is the love that we're commanded to have with a pure heart, a good conscience, and faith unfeigned. Now, in just a few moments, we're going to partake of the elements before you today. The elements that portray the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. These do not become the body and blood of Christ. They do not have the essence of body of Christ and the blood of Christ. They are just symbols of unleavened bread, unfermented grape juice that represent the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And I thought this message appropriate to preach this time one, because it's part of our series, but two, because what greater example of love do we have than God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life? And we remember the great sacrifice of Jesus Christ as we look back at Calvary and remember that he shed his blood and his body was broken for you and for me. And we remember as we partake of these elements, we say this too, and um, remembrance of me. And we're to do this as often as, uh, as, we, as we do this till he comes because we're remembering there's a day when Jesus Christ is going to come back and rapture us out of this world. The greatest demonstration of love is love himself, Jesus Christ. And so as we're discussing today, having the right disposition, the disposition of love, and we think about it's out of a pure heart, we see no greater example of a pure heart than Jesus Christ. Out of a good conscience, he was without sin, of faith unfeigned. Well, who's the author of our faith? Who's who's the one who gave us the word? He is the word incarnate. And so our focus, if we're going to have the right disposition and if we're going to have the right motives as we teach and preach the Word of God, our focus needs to be on Christ. And so celebrating this memorial today, I think, is a great way to remind us, Christian, we need to love as he loved. We need to treat others as he did. We need to demonstrate his love to others. Because if the greatest love is Jesus Christ dying for us, then should we not be busy telling others about that great love? Is that not the most loving thing we could do for somebody, is to share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ? Tell them how they can know that their sins are forgiven how they too can have a clear conscience how they too can have a faith unfeigned how they too can have their sins forgiven have a home in heaven for all eternity is that not the greatest love we can show so in just a few moments we're going to distribute the elements but before we do i would like to have just a quick time of invitation